We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Okay, I am here with Grandmaster Timur Gadeev coming live from Kazan. He is a globetrotting grandmaster in addition to a blindfold uh, world expert. Timur, thanks a, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Hey, uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, uh, hello to everybody. So you've been making a lot of waves, obviously, with the amazing uh, feats you're putting on with your blindfold chess. And we'll get to that eventually. But right now, I want to talk to you about your travels. So you're coming to us Live from Kazan in Russia, what brings you there? Well, uh, Kazan is actually uh, the place where a lot of my uh, relatives are nowadays. So, you know, it's uh, actually uh, uh, my uh, homeland, so to speak, in terms of my uh, nationality. So I'm, I'm not Uzbek, I'm Tatar. So that's uh, Kazan is the capital of Tatarstan. Okay, and how long are you going to be visiting? Well, uh, it's been uh, about three days. Actually, today was kind of fun. I get to run a cosmic uh, race, so it was uh, it was just a, a 10k uh, race I was running, uh, but it was uh, in uh, uh, celebration or kind of in preparation for uh, the uh, the day of cos- cosmonauts here in Russia, which is supposed to be April 12th. So we had, uh, I don't know, maybe 100 people running. Wow. Yeah, and for for listeners, we're recording on April 8th. This will be released a little bit later. But Timur is known for a lot of uh, unusual activities for chess grandmasters, I would say. Skydiving, marathons, anything else we should mention, Timur? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as far as running, I actually, uh, a number of times that I uh, pushed the limits and ran a marathon and uh i imagine i've done maybe about seven of them which one of them was uh, actually an extended marathon uh uh amounting to 43 miles uh, as opposed to a regular 24 miles total 
Wow, that's that's crazy. And we'll get to the marathon of your blindfold chess. But uh, when you listen, when you go running tomorrow, do you listen to music or do you just uh, um, just enjoy the sounds of nature? Uh, I do. I do the later later both. Uh, like you know, I think the former. Uh, I think enjoying the the uh, sounds of nature and just uh, even in places that are not particularly. Um, you know, endearing, like, uh, you know, it's still kind of uh, interesting to just kind of see what's going on around you uh, and uh, hear the natural sounds, whatever the natural world represents nowadays, because, you know, there's people who run in the streets of Manhattan, and that's, you know, well, I guess you could get up to Central Park and run up there. But, uh, you know, I, I do tend to, to like... Uh, uh, to take in uh, the uh, everything that's going on around, including the, all the sounds. And and you grew up in Uzbekistan. Where, did you grow up in the city or the country? Well, uh, I uh, grew up in the capital, and uh, uh, you know it's it's uh, it's transformed quite a bit for you know g- introducing. I think nowadays there's a lot more cars. Back when I was growing up, uh, it was a lot. Uh, um, you know, because I think public transportation was uh, more more common. Okay. And what was uh what was the chess culture like, Timur? How did you get into chess uh, in Uzbekistan? Well, uh, chess uh, was uh, something that uh, surrounded me and uh, inspired me as a you know kind of like a family experience where my grandfather taught me how to play chess, and then my father, uh, you know, gave me tips and. You know, actually, show me a couple of tricks. He'd he'd catch me <laughs> generally. Then I I, I learn, uh, you know, how to how to play against those. And you know, we had a couple, uh, you know, quite a few interesting battles uh, till I actually started uh, to uh, uh, win uh, games against them consistently. Which he would probably be about a sixteen hundred level at his best. So, you know, he gave me a lot. And then when I uh, turned seven, I uh, 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 had a, a, a chess chess class or like, a, you know, like a, a little after school program, which actually, you know, we uh, had, the, you know, the chess time throughout the school uh, when, I, when I was, uh, was a good time to get together. Uh, I had a chess coach uh, who was very encouraging and kind of fun and telling interesting stories and jokes and you know it was it was it was great to to have that kind of environment and coincidentally just right across uh, well actually in the same apartment complex I had a, um, a classmate who we went to the chess chess class together as well she actually kept beating me for a while until I figured out her secrets and you know gained some experience but her mother was uh, actually Uzbekistan uh, women's champion so she was an international master so it was like everything was uh, you know and then all the the most important uh, uh, person in my uh, later uh, as, as a career as I was as I started getting better and better rapidly was uh, Georgi Konstantinovich Borisenko who is a uh, a Soviet master, and uh, he uh, trained uh, essentially two women's uh, world champions, <laughs> and uh, you know many uh, many of the top grandmasters like Taimanov and 
Furman and uh, you know they they collaborated and trained together. Georg Konstantinich had great results uh, where he beat Tal, uh, you know wow. Smyslov, and you know a lot of those uh, uh, top champions uh, a number of times. So uh, having a chess coach like that is certainly a uh, a big uh, advantage in uh, achieving great results fast. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Timur is just an amazing chess player, been as high as uh, around number 70 in the world and currently uh, 11th highest rated in the U.S. Um, so speaking of, of your coach as a kid, how did you hook up with him? Well, uh, my first chess coach, uh, he was just out there at the, at the school and uh, that was, you know, it was, it was great, you know, just have that kind of proximity to to learning chess the best way you can. At times, uh, you see kids struggling uh, because of the style of teaching or the style of learning uh, that they, you know, would probably benefit most. And I think that fun style of learning, especially at the beginning, where things are light and, you know, it's like the time and sacrifice and, you know, just interesting stories, uh, you know, kind of dominate over the material and just kind of more of a structured approach. I think that was great. And uh, later, as I had uh, the chess coach, the Soviet Soviet master, Georgi Konstantinovich Borisenko, he, uh, his, his approach, as opposed to uh, Alexei Mikhailovich, uh, his approach was... Uh, uh, obviously, more uh, fundamental, uh, you know, based on the 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 essentials of uh, you know the school of chess, and you know it's like the positional concepts, and you know that was uh, really uh, great examples of how I could play better. Because a lot of times we went over uh, my games, and uh, he would give me suggestions, and uh, it would be things would be would be crystal clear. Almost immediately, as we, uh, you know, as I showed some of the ideas, and he says, "Well, here's here's where you can improve," and indeed, I, uh, you know, carried a greater experience from one lesson to the next, and uh, actually had a lot of time that I spent on my own studying chess. I think ultimately, that uh, aside from having great coaches, that uh, at the very least shows your commitment to uh, conquering. The world of chess, which is tremendous, it's immense. There's so much to learn, so much to uh, experience before you get all those uh, essentials. Before you, you know, build the base as a grandmaster. I think nowadays it's it's a lot of the opening preparation that you're supposed to undergo uh, when you're starting out. It's you know, it's like five, six different uh, elements. You know, in the end game and the opening and the middle game and the tactics, you know, it's, and I uh, tend to just pick up a chess book and just go from cover to cover, uh, you know, in, in a matter of uh, about a week and then maybe share some of the ideas with my chess coaches. Yeah, I think the fact that you're self-motivated probably shows through in the fact that you have so many other interests and the fact that you've sort of <laughs> taken on this um, entrepreneurial uh, endeavor of, um, playing these amazing blindfold exhibitions but uh before we get to that just just to wrap up your your youth development so you i imagine were one of the top players as a youth in uzbekistan and then you eventually made your way to the states how how did that happen uh, well uh the opportunity came as a part of my 
desire and you know something that I was really hoping and envisioning uh, you know it's uh, opportunity to come out and uh, study in the United States which you know was uh, the next uh, logical step in my you know development and uh, obviously I had to focus and with a similar uh, amount of dedication uh, focus on learning and uh, learning the language English language and uh, it seemed like mathematics was important in some of the exams so I did that and then the opportunity came around as I actually kind of uh, accomplished the major step in my chess development where I became the uh, became grandmaster at the age of 15 turning 16 I had about a year to go before entering college there were some options uh, all around uh, including Uzbekistan I think there was Ireland. Uh, <laughs> now that I recollect, there's also St. Petersburg, Russia. Wow. I had an opportunity actually discussed, uh, you know, the, the very details of coming out and also uh, playing for the team. Uh, so uh, I ended up uh, picking uh, uh, Brownsville, Texas for my first destination, actually, even though I kind of did bounce around. Uh, going to UMBC and then going back to Brownsville, I did end up uh, getting a degree from UTB, uh, which was uh, business administration and marketing just a few years ago. So it must have been quite a culture shock to go from Uzbekistan to the midst of Texas. Could you tell us a little bit about how that felt and if it was a difficult transition for you? Well, uh, the... What uh, kind of made it uh, a little bit smoother, I, I imagine, is just the general experience of you know going to chess competitions where I would meet uh, uh, players, people from all around the world, and you know practice English, maybe pick up pick up some ideas. So uh, you know I traveled to uh, India a number of times. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, Places around Asia, like Malaysia, uh, and then uh, Europe, uh, you know, I went to Paris and Spain. I think uh, a lot of the chess players are, uh, especially a lot of the young ones, are super fortunate to have that kind of experience available to them. I think, uh, well, back in Uzbekistan, the kids are really uh, praying uh, that they get uh, a spot in the championship. And with a very tough competition, uh, you know, there's consistently trying and uh, trying to work their way up. Now, as far as coming to the United States, obviously, indeed, it was a culture, uh, you know, it's a different culture, uh, you know, different people. And actually, Brownsville, among all, all the places uh, in the United States, the Rio Grande Valley, it's also kind of a different place compared to other places in the United States just because of the confluence of uh you know, obviously the Americans and the American and Mexican culture. So, you know, I had a, you know, the opportunity to learn quite a bit of Spanish. Actually, a lot of people just speak Spanish there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, that was also kind of the part of this uh, cultural experience, which I uh, totally embraced and, uh, you know, worked to understand and uh, get better, and I think my English improved. I, I it's among the advantages and disadvantages. I would say it was about ninety uh, percent uh, for the better. Uh, you know, as far as you know, embracing new opportunities in the United States. 
Yeah, it seems like you have an adventurous spirit. Uh, so I guess like a lot of people might um, be overwhelmed by so much change. But based on what you've done subsequently, I think that uh, it, it seems like it was probably up your alley. Um, so did you, uh, how was uh, the chess study at Brownsville? Were you pretty much self-directed or did you have coaching? Um, and how did your chess progress while you were there? Well, uh, it was it was great uh, as a pro- the chess program. Uh, it was undergoing its own changes. We had a, uh, a, ch- a grandmaster chess coach in place, uh, um, quite a prominent figure in um, chess um, education among uh, club players, I imagine. Roman uh, Jinjahashvili. Uh, uh, yes, so, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was uh, he was giving us some training. Now I I got a little bit from him. Uh, I, f- I feel like uh, later on when I actually got back to uh, Brownsville, uh, it was uh, chess coach Ronan Harsvi. Mm-hmm. And Ronan uh, indeed uh, made a difference uh, in uh, terms of my uh, approach to chess and ins- just general inspiration to bring up my game. Uh, you know, his, his uh, general saying was like, hey, uh, you know, you're at 2,600. Oh, and you're actually a 2700 level player. You just gotta, you know, you know, work on your openings. You know, just polish up your your style. Now, I, that kind of, you know, that inspired me to, to work work my way up. And I think I kind of did it in a very, um, in a very easygoing manner, which put very little pressure on me to perform, but rather. I kind of embraced the sense of anticipation that something good may happen, kind of like the result at the North American Open. Uh, I believe uh, I got eight and a half points out of nine, which a pretty killer result, uh, yeah. consider, considering I did play five, maybe six Grandmasters in that tournament. So from 2,600, I jumped up to 2,680, uh, you know, getting make it very close to 20. 700 so that's uh, that was kind of my experience actually transitioning from mostly just uh playing a lot of online poker which was i was doing for a while uh while studying yet another poker player (laughs) we can't we can't get through an interview on the perpetual podcast without talking about poker um oh yeah uh so are you still playing or done with that oh uh i kind of uh, uh got discouraged by the slow pace of the game uh, it's just you just gotta wait. Uh, I think ninety five percent of the time that you gotta throw the hand away. So uh, there's opportunities that arise, and if you're playing playing worthwhile stakes, uh, I think it's great. Uh, just in terms of the income. Now, right. most importantly, obviously, how you experience the game, what you get out of it. And uh, just recently, I ended up uh, uh, playing uh, a uh, I don't remember like ten or eleven hour session. Uh, and, and I went to, I believe, five or six different casinos along the strip. I oh, just wow. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, just well, to make had, it interesting. You know, your uh, online fo- footprint makes it uh, kind of hard to pin down where you live. But I know you've got some Vegas ties because you played for the Vegas Pro Chess League. And that's where you did your blindfold exhibition. So do you have like a, a place you call home currently? Uh, I, I say uh, just in terms of the more official kind of like or you know just the main destinations uh along my you know kind of going back home would be las vegas and uh 
Kansas, where Kansas would be the uh, Lindsborg uh, Karpov Chess School, where actually my mother is teaching. So whenever I get a chance, it's kind of a tougher destination than compared to like Vegas, because uh, you know it's it's tougher to you know it should be easy really, because you know it's like the heart of America where a lot of the planes should be connecting. There should be a lot of great connecting points, but that's not the case. Maybe because uh, you know there's not as many people, and uh, you know, a lot of the people would just drive instead of flying. So. Uh, for me, it's like a lot of times the my travel destination, uh, whereas Vegas, let's say, it's just uh, it's beautiful. It's got uh, uh, great connecting points. Always, always, uh, there's always good flights going uh, anywhere around the country. So you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of a an adventure for me in a way that I do tend to budget uh, where where I am going to go. If it's too expensive, I. Uh, end up really finding alternative ways or times if you know let's say i went from germany to portugal for, for no particular reason other than the fact that the ticket was uh, co- costing like 10 10 euros i think and then i went to uh seville and barcelona and ibiza uh and then uh you know heading on for you know maybe under 50 Fifty dollars for all those destinations. I don't know. There's those great sales that you can just travel for five or ten dollars flying uh, across the world. So you're, you're so making like, me jealous. <laughs> I, I like I like I like those. Nice. <laughs> so I, t- I take a chance. So Timor, when you're in Vegas, do you have an apartment there, or are you just uh, crashing with friends, or like where where do you live when you're in what we would call your home bases? Well. Uh, in in Vegas, I I used to have an apartment that was a, actually a beautiful place when I played the Millionaire Open. That was just right across the street, so I ended up uh, just walking through Cosmopolitan and uh, over to Planet Hollywood. So the place was adjacent uh, to Aria, and I had like a kind of set of apartments. A lot of times, people wouldn't couldn't believe it's like. Oh, where where are we going? It's like that's an apartment. That's like where a lot of people live on a regular basis, and it's just kind of a cool spot with rooftop pool and a jacuzzi and sauna and uh, and the gym. And uh, yeah, uh, I uh, said, uh, hey, uh, you know, I like this, but you know, I actually at one point I ended up uh, maybe traveling three weeks out of the months going places, even though I like my place in Vegas. Kind of a nice nice home base to come back and you know maybe uh, have the opportunity to focus but after a while i realized it was just a extra expense along with the car and the motorcycle uh you know which require maintenance so uh, i might get some of those back but uh just at this point uh, that's kind of what it is i just move on and you know whenever i get a chance i may stay over at my friend's place or you know just always opportunities out there so you got rid of all your stuff Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Minimalist, minimalist I, lifestyle. Alex Yermolinsky would be proud. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of trying to work my way up to just carrying, uh, everything I need in one backpack. So how close are you? <laughs> well, now I got to get a, 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 formal jacket and, you know, the, the formal attire for an event I have gone on in. And one of the old, uh, legendary uh, ch- uh, clubs 
uh, of in London. So it was established in 1830. So they don't they don't mess around uh, you coming out uh, with the jeans and shirts. <laughs> so you you're supposed to you know bring in the jacket and the 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 tie. I imagine. So I'm kind of just you know being proactive and trying to figure out how I'm gonna. I'm probably not gonna be able to fit it in the backpack. So. I mean, it's probably not going to be a good idea. So, you know, there's always the, the you know, the additional uh, additional uh, components to life that kind of make minimalism, uh, uh, challenge your idea, the concept of minimalism. Uh, one thing actually that's kind of a drastic is uh, I plan to let go of my, of, of a cell phone mm-hmm. um, in and and this is this is as i'm just fascinated with uh, you know some of the applications that you can use to call internationally and uh, just keep up a communication with just people all around the world and it just makes it really amazing you can send messages really it's just about free and there's uh, great international plans and just communication is is wonderful considering how much i travel and how awesome it is to be able to connect with people around the world. Uh, I think it's kind of crazy to be able to, to, to actually take, take a chance and let go of, uh, you know, this form of uh, this well-established built-in form of communication, kind of like an extension of the arm, your, your cell phone. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, people, people lose their cell phone or, you know, they leave it at home and they freak out. And I mean, I, I kind of do too, but I, I'm just curious to see how that, uh, you know, not having a cell phone will affect uh, my lifestyle. I don't know, my thinking, maybe the way my time is spent. Yeah. Well, you know, Wesley So has uh, shed his cell phone, so maybe it'll maybe it'll help your chest too. <laughs> as, well, as, go ahead. I think there's different uh, lifestyles. I think for Wesley, I, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, a. A, I don't know. I don't know him that well, just in terms of his uh, personal details. But uh, I imagine if you, especially if you're a professional chess player or uh, you know just someone who really just dedicates uh, themselves to one thing, and you know just is able to really focus in and make that happen, I think that's great. You know, maybe like scientific research or kind of on the other form form of spectrum where you just kind of. Uh, go into the woods and just disappear and then well what the hell do you need a cell phone for so for me i think uh, it's 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 uh it's a little bit tough in terms of uh just being able to actually still stay in touch considering the uh the pace of my travel and uh you know all, all the opportunities along the way uh it's kind of it's kind of a tough dilemma to yeah. to be able to to let go of uh, actually social media as well so we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's got to be tough because you also have to plan business opportunities and stuff like that. But maybe you could get one and uh, keep it turned off for the most part. But I want to get back to to you mentioned going to a club in London. So when you go to all these different places, are you going to lots of clubs, or is this just sort of like a, a certain place that you want to get to? Uh, well, uh, I had a, I had the vision to do that um, to come out and uh, spend the time in Great Britain. And uh, it's kind of kind of a good adventure to um, try out uh, along the way, going back to U.S. for coming from coming back from Russia, which my uh, trip to Uzbekistan and uh, you know Kazakhstan, which where I actually ended up doing an event, um, it was quite spontaneous as well. So 
I'd say it's about 50-50 for me when I uh, go and uh, do something. Uh, actually, probably more t- uh, more so uh, structured around my events, but still I'll, uh, you know, I'll go explore or, you know, just try out a new destination. Kind of like uh, the way I went to Stockholm, uh, Sweden for uh, a few weeks uh, just to hang out with uh, my friends who are you know, kind of having get together and say hey come on out uh, I say okay uh, it's going to be kind of expensive and you know trying to uh, you know work out a budget in a place like Stockholm but then I also consider well maybe there's some benefits to it as, in terms of not just having fun but maybe I can put together something chess wise and I actually uh, was very successful with it connecting with uh, uh, as, as it turned out just some wonderful people uh, uh, great friends from Sweden uh, including Ingmar who uh, Ingmar Falk who puts together uh, he's kind of like the new person in charge of promotion and tech so he uh, you know ended up uh, helping me put together this blindfold exhibition match we had all the DGT set up all the technology I met a lot of great uh, you know kids and uh, parents and coaches and uh, yeah it was, it was kind of fun but that was kind of a spontaneous trip which turned into a blindfold chess trip and just uh, sharing my vision and kind of promoting chess in the world so what what is your vision uh, I think uh, the ultimate mastery is uh, it's got to be what you should uh, aim for in anything you do uh, or well in anything that you envision to be your uh, ultimate call, call in life well uh, as far as blindfold chess I think it should be fairly obvious uh, for, for, for me at least that I uh, have a certain predisposition to be able to uh, play a blindfold chess and uh, you know excel at it and uh, this is something that I enjoy you can be good at something uh, like let's say for example uh, competitive chess uh, I'm, I'm good at it uh, but then I'm not willing to uh, dedicate my life uh, to uh, becoming world chess champion I think uh, it might still be available to me that journey it might be a lot a lot tougher than uh, you know had I made the decision like let's say back when I was 16 and just became a grandmaster uh, uh, but you know it's like uh, you know whatever you get at, at the point in your life say uh, I, I was watching a movie about Rashid Nezhmedzinov and that's the local Tatar uh, uh, champion. He was five five times the Soviet champion, and actually along the ranks of uh, you know Botvinnik, I believe Spassky. I think uh, some of those guys actually didn't uh, indeed uh, t- uh, became grandmasters at much later ages. And you know whenever the uh, that opportunity comes along. Uh, you you can try it out now at this point aside from blindfold chess uh, I have other passions kind of uh, for uh, extreme sports in particular and uh, you know despite you know being almost 30 at this point I think uh, this is something that I could take on and I have certain predisposition to well at least just you know try it out and have 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 some fun with it so yes. uh, but you know ultimately I think uh, just one point that I wanted to make is just the fact that you know when you uh, when you want to make something happen it's it's great to have that psychology that you're really going to dedicate your life to it 
And uh, among those things is definitely blindfold chess. Yeah, so I think most listeners will have at least some awareness of the amazing feats you've you've done. But just, just to review, so in December, you did a simultaneous blindfold exhibition in uh, Las Vegas where you played 48 people over 19 hours. And what was your score? And do I have those details right? Well, uh, that was uh, the ultimate event that I was able to pull off, and uh, in in with the help of uh, great mentors, friends, uh, all the people who came out and actually took on the challenge. Uh, so the 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 ultimate victory was uh, uh, was uh, enough to uh, get me into the uh, book of. Uh, world guinness guinness world records so which was you know certified and established just just a couple weeks ago now i uh ended up uh uh, making seven draws six losses and uh, 35 wins uh, which ended up being uh uh, being 80 percent uh victories uh, and uh, that was uh, the requirement for official world Guinness record, which previously uh, Mark Lang played 46 games and uh, Miguel Nydorf played uh, 45 games. Uh, so I excelled and uh, took over those records. At this point, Mark, uh, he's a FIDE master from Germany. Uh, he's not even a grandmaster, which makes it uh, even more fascinating as to uh, understanding the power of blindfold chess like uh or the quality that you can develop and be able to succeed at it like uh, say koltanowski compared to somebody like alohin who is the world champion you have koltanowski and examples of mark lang who are uh, masters and uh strong international you know level masters uh, but they're still able to to multitask and play that many games yeah it's just but, an- uh, just a, a staggering feat, uh, and it's funny. Um, for those who, for those who don't know, I mean, I think again, I think most people will have seen some coverage. This was covered, and you were on the cover of Chess Life, and they wrote a, uh, your friends Jennifer Valens and Jay Stallings wrote a really nice article summarizing uh, the preparation that went into this and the actual feat. And you had a good write up in New in Chess. So, not to mention, there's coverage all over the internet. So, I think people who want to 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 dig into what you accomplished, we'll have ways to do this. Um, but so, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what your future vision entails for uh, your blindfold travels? Well, interestingly, Mark actually wants to challenge my record and bring bring up the the stakes and play fifty games. So that will uh, certainly influence us to. Uh, you know, say my next step. <laughs> That's funny. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it would it would it would obviously be the blinds uh, are going up, right? <laughs> yeah, the blind yeah, the blinds <laughs> are going up. So, uh, you know, uh, it would be you know a more you know greater number of boards, but I think even more so. Uh, at times, I'll have a, a organizers who are super enthusiastic, and uh, even at times it'll be like well, yeah, let's do like a blindfold match. They're like, okay, well, awesome. You know, so how many are you going to play? So you're going to play like 50 of them or, you know, we just have a bunch of kids lined up. Let's do it. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it's like, it's not like a matter of, you know, lining up 50 participants. You know, the the ultimate world record event is, uh, I mean, it's super complex as, you know, the event that we put together. 
for one is just the duration of the effort is just tremendous so having uh for one you know i'm less worried about my experience uh you know sustaining the the rhythm and the the good health and the energy and the focus concentration obviously um, i'll be preparing better and better and get stronger at this with uh, every event opportunity and as the time goes by uh, but uh, also you know the the players experience where you know they have so much time on their hands uh, especially between the moves uh, that uh, you know i'd want to create this make it a festival with you know maybe other presentations going on maybe like a little bit of technology where they can you know there's screens like along these kind of like convention hall where you know they can go see like a grandmaster presentation or play like some kind of a cool chess related game or you know maybe have some mensa people have some uh you know performers and uh, magic people you know and just i mean just make it truly amazing in between the rounds i could have uh uh, the rounds, I mean, uh, between, let's say, several moves that I play on, which could take, you know, say three moves could take up to like two and a half hours for me to play initially. Uh, then, you know, maybe uh, if I go take a break, I may have, you know, they may have like some performers come in and just, uh, you know, uh, make this makes this interesting. So this is not uh, just another, uh, you know, continental chess tournament. This is really... Uh, uh, just something innovative and just something truly unique that uh, I'd want to put together and make happen and make it better every time. I think, you know, even in terms of my, uh, the ways I could, uh, you know, let's say I was, I do the spin bike, you know, I, right. I, Amazing. I, yeah. I, I spin the wheels, uh, of a stationary bike as I, uh, as I, uh, play my matches, which helps me keep concentration. Now, uh, 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 I see there's like opportunities to make create some variety in terms of that and you know potentially sponsorship opportunities for you know like a you know one of those spin bike or even war spin bike companies you know sponsor that like the aqua bikes right. I could, we could have like a little aquarium and you know maybe set up the bike and I could be spinning and uh, within that you know just make it kind of cool interesting more spectacular spectacular uh, uh, you know, just work through all the details, how the moves are executed, you know, just everything could be, uh, you know, at least, you know, 10 to 30% better, more interesting, more innovative, especially, I, I think this is the experience that uh, I share with the world. You know, we had actually had several players connect from online, so we could make that more interactive, more interesting, more engaging with a little bit time preparation that we could invest in uh, p putting it ahead of time so there's all these parallels all these things that we can uh, make happen and there's definitely uh, tremendous resources that would be required to pull it off so i'm very patient with uh, you know anticipating those opportunities and uh, i'll uh, i hope i'll be ready for my next feat nice yeah a lot of uh long-term vision it sounds like um Regarding sponsorship opportunities, I, I was curious how does like how did the financing work for the Vegas thing? Did you we, were you compensated at all for it, or was this strictly promotional? And uh, generally, how how does it work if you're planning on putting on an exhibition like that? Well, uh, it's it's 
it's uh, fascinating how many connections you can make uh, between blindfold chess and you know uh, things that could appeal to potential sponsors. For example, I I went to uh, the Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, uh, gathering the yeah, annual the annual meeting, nice. That's legendary. Yeah, the annual meeting. Yeah, twice, tw- two two years in a row. Okay, and, and uh, you know it's just this big uh, convention. I, I went for the one that was uh, doing the fifty years uh, anniversary. So for those okay. who don't know, this is Warren Buffett's company, and he's he's legendary for for holding court at this meeting, giving a sort of um, state of the company update. But it's also he's got. So he's got lifetime shareholders there who've become rich just by owning his stock throughout their lives. So he's obviously got a big cult following and it gets a lot of media attention. So uh, great opportunity to uh, raise awareness about what you're doing, I would imagine. Yes. And, uh, you know, Warren Buffett is definitely the uh, probably one the most well-accomplished investor in the world, the long-term investor. And then his partner, Charlie Munger, uh, you, know, is, you know, just in terms of the sheer wealth, I think uh, they in total they uh, at one point uh, probably had like about 150 billion dollars, and then the Berkshire Hathaway is actually the company that consists of different companies. Uh, that that was like 300 billion. Uh, so <laughs> so you know it's just kind of interesting that uh, you know at a, at a meeting like that where people discussing the you know the eco- the economy of the future and you're just kind of giving this uh, like very it's it's the the style I think the style of presentation there's a lot of rich people out there but you know not all of them are so well received as uh, Warren Buffett and you know just in terms of like the insights uh, you know uh, I I well, what I heard uh, in one of the uh, talks or discussions is like, hey, uh, you know, there used to be, I believe it was uh, a last name Singleton or one of the uh, professors and uh, well-respected economists. They uh, discussed and his uh, and as as a, as a matter of defining his intelligence, where he, they even mentioned they say, hey, well, this guy was probably smarter than both of us, and uh, they say, hey, well, he played, uh, uh, he, he he managed to play three games of blindfold chess simultaneously. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of a, that the blindfold chess uh, aspect, you know, the idea of blindfold chess is fascinates a lot of people. And I think, uh, you know, Warren Buffett thinks it's it's valuable. Well, I mean, it's got to be, you know, B- Bill Gates invites uh, Carlson. You know, you have, uh, you know, obviously great things happening for chess. And I think uh, blindfold chess even more so is uh, an attractive uh, uh, experience to, to be able to support. And I think uh, Grandmaster Patrick Wolf is a shareholder um, of uh, Berkshire Hathaway in addition to uh, running a hedge fund. Do, have you come across him at the meetings? I think uh, he actually even did a blindfold match over at the one of the meetings. So uh, this year, actually, I was thinking of reaching out, but ended up uh, having an event that weekend. So I didn't try too hard. Uh, so you know, but there's, I, I imagine there's also other opportunities for you know corporate events, uh, and you know, th- uh, I, I actually. Uh, I've done a number of like presentations and events that are kind of in that uh, similar league of opportunities, and I'm sure it's only going to expand and get better. As for uh, you know Vegas uh, sponsorship uh, opportunities, it actually ended up being uh, kind of self-sustaining, where we had the vision, and uh, I had my friend uh, and partner in this uh, world record. Uh, 
um, quest, uh, uh, Jennifer Valance, uh, uh, where she reached out to like a number of companies, like you know, even my name, T More. It's like more T. Right. Uh, you know, it's like so. I was like, hey, let's uh, reach out to tea companies because you like tea, or like fresh squeezed juice and uh, this and that and uh, spin bikes and so it was, it was a lot of a lot of reaching out that uh, she was doing you know in terms of you know some of the people that she actually knew uh even for closer personally and then some of the people we met along the journey and shared information uh, unfortunately we didn't really get any kind of concrete opportunities as opposed to mark lang where he he was approached actually didn't even look for anything and he was approached by a medical company that say hey well what do you think this will take uh, for us to make this happen and ended up uh, being enough for him to uh, take a year off uh, his uh, programming job and, you know, giving him time to prepare and make the uh, pull, pull, pull off his feet of playing 46 games. So, yeah, there's uh, great opportunities out there. But uh, as, as I said, you know, it's like if you're willing to give your life away or, you know, really invest all of your time all of your energy into it. Uh, I mean, it's got to be worth it, just the experience of doing it. Uh, I don't think you're necessarily looking for any kind of external reward, but just, uh, you know, have that kind of a, a pathway that you see. And as it's growing, it definitely gives that ultimate satisfaction of pursuing your mission. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've got good perspective on, um, you know, I think a lot of people might might be frustrated if like i mean this is something that's never been done in in human history i mean the, you're in the guinness book of world records and to to not have companies recognize or at least not yet recognize what you're doing i'm glad that you that you maintain a, a positive outlook about it uh, i'm also curious i mean so you're a, an incredible chess player and as you said your your tournament chess is kind of on the back burner um so in it, so how are you able to support yourself generally for all of your travels? Uh, what sort of opportunities do you line up to to support your going to the next place and doing the next thing? Well, the kind of like the funny answer to that is actually I'm not able to support myself. <laughs> <laughs> Through, through whatever I do, but you know, seriously, actually, uh, I have uh, uh, quite a few events opportunities. You know, in terms of uh, uh, not only blindfold chess or like uh, exhibition matches, uh, especially with a lot more, uh, you know, people kind of getting to know my uh, what I'm capable of and what I have to offer. Uh, but I think teaching is great, uh, and uh, I have. Uh, uh, a number of students, you know, uh, people that I work with consistently. And then, um, um, like, the m- months of May, I barely have a- any time uh, aside from the, the chess events that I'm planning. And, uh, you know, as I travel, like, like recently I've been going to Russia, which kind of, you know, we're like Uzbekistan, the former Soviet Union. And despite the fact that I'm kind of from this area, uh, it's... Uh, you know, culturally close, and you know, I'm discovering, uh, you know, how great of an opportunity it would be to to hang out here and maybe host an event. And there's obviously the, you know, the, uh, you know, coming back to that same perspective as you know the great companies, you know, the uh, the good international standard opportunities to to pursue in terms of sharing the experience and uh, gaining that support. And you know, that's something that I've been working on developing. Uh, but I think as as I expand my horizons, 
uh, and you know that's kind of a fun. I think uh, my vision at this point is is very low key. Uh, as long as I can go out there and then uh, you know, especially the places that I really like or re- would really like to visit, and uh, I I make my I make the trip and uh, I get to enjoy myself, meet some great people, and uh, you know just can make that journey sustainable. Uh, I think that's kind of the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, way of uh, sustaining the, you know, keeping up the momentum and uh, keeping my lifestyle fun. Um, so yeah, that's about it. I guess that's my <laughs> ambitions for for the achieving great riches in those. In this world. <laughs> well, it's a, it's I mean it's an inspiring worldview. Is there someone that you credit? like in your development for for helping you approach the world that way or that shaped your thinking i think it's just a number of experiences uh and uh, yeah definitely a certain knowledge it's kind of like you won't be able to you know it's it's fun to accumulate i was uh, uh, a lot better off and dif- during different points in my life and I certainly will be uh, uh, just with a little bit of focus, uh, but uh, and it's it's definitely great to have the opportunities to sustain uh, whatever you know pursuits, even like the things that are, you're like, well, you know, they're just you know chasing you know after this dream or maybe like trying to do better than the guy next door. But if ultimately that's something that's you know it's kind of like inside of you, you're like, well, you know, I you know I know that's not necessarily the most spiritual way of seeing things or this most uh you know the pursuit that i'm most capable of in terms of my i don't know most most, i think a lot of people kind of see it as spirituality where you just like well why are you chasing money you know it's not spiritual but i think that's you know like in terms of establishing a business for example which i have great business ideas that i would like to fulfill maybe at a certain point within several years um, you know, it's. I think it's a, having a business and is a, the ultimate uh, way of pursuing sp- spirituality in terms of how you can approach it. You know, especially with more resources at at stake, is how how you're able to maintain yourself and treat other people. I think it's it's great to be able to undertake that kind of journey. Um, <clears throat> and in terms of what I'm doing right now, as I said, I have a very low key approach to that. Do, with these business opportunities, would would you stay in one place, or would you continue to travel uh, in order to to carry out that vision? Uh, yeah, it's, it seems like uh, it would be tough to maintain that same pace of moving around the world. But a lot of the a lot of the opportunities are actually uh, on the internet, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm I haven't really uh, embraced any particular idea, or I I actually don't know how. Is this will shape up, but I, I do notice interesting things in the world, and uh, uh, hopefully, as I uh, continue my journey in the next few years, uh, sharing blindfold chess experience, uh, doing some of the fun things I envision, uh, and uh, maybe picking up some business ideas, meeting good people I can establish contact, and maybe start something together. Uh, I think uh, you know, especially with my background and in, in business marketing. Um, I think chess, there's certain uh, business opportunities in uh, promoting, especially like coaching, chess, establishing chess in schools, which I was working for several years. Uh, uh, it's a lot of fun. I think very rewarding. Uh, that's kind of like a great uh, starting point for uh, doing something uh, that's kind of your your effort, your um, 
a little little uh, entity that you want to develop and make grow. Uh, I think that's that's beautiful way to start and not have that kind of stakes that you would be investing and risking. Uh, but you know, also kind of fun to get away from the world of chess uh, uh, for once and uh, just do something maybe completely different or something that's you know. Uh, inspiring for me it's for it's the green energy um it's not the it's this it's at its strongest point at this point uh in time but uh, i feel like you know with especially with the oil oil and traditional uh ways of generating energy but i think the world ultimately is driven through you know energy resources and uh having the more sustainable way to approach uh the lifestyle would really determine the the future of the planet. I think I had a friend that's like, oh man, it's kind of like a you know Americans always want to save the world, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it's contagious, right? So right. Kinda, <laughs> you know, you 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 know you kind of want to maybe approach things globally and just see what's not working exactly. And there's definitely some things to improve. And I'd say you know just in terms of generating and using energy, I think the the green energy, the sustainable energy is uh, definitely the way to invest time and explore and really, once again, dedicate a lifetime. So would you dig into the science of this, um, of uh, green energy? Would you have your own ideas about how to create it? Or would you be more on the um, the business side of things? I'd say uh, both. I, I think you kind of got to be obsessed with every little aspect of it, which a lot of times I'm uh, you know, I, I'm noticing uh, just inconsistencies. You know, just having that kind of chess slash business mindset. You know, you see, well, you know, why are this guy's not adding value this way? You know, why they're not they're not using up the resources? Why are they charging so much when they can charge a little bit less? You know, and you know, get get more opportunities or vice versa. So it's uh, you know, it's it's that. Experience. for me i think it's more of like just everything really uh i'm kind of my weak weakness is uh i'd say well the strength obviously is the uh just the global view seeing the big picture and seeing the opportunities going for it decisively uh the weak points would be just the administrative part just yeah. trying trying to push those push the papers you know just creating the order of things you know the getting those um, <laughs> the accounting part i would say so i need a i need a great accountant as my best buddy right to, yeah. to make yeah. this work more of a big picture guy i think yeah um yeah. so timor i can't let you get out of here with talking uh, without talking a little bit more about the the mechanisms of the blindfold play i know you've talked about this a fair amount but this is a, a you know hardcore chess enthusiast audience so what what tips can you give chess players for how to improve their visualization and particularly just their ability to actually play game or multiple games blindfolded well actually this is a, a great uh, way for me to express my uh, 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 knowledge my uh, uh, creativity my approach to blindfold chess and uh, I know Kaltanowski put out uh, a couple great books out there but uh, those kind of include his games uh, a few stories from uh, you know his uh, travel, which was truly impressive. 
you know, I think it's like been to almost every, he went to every, almost every country in the world, you know, doing, playing, doing some kind of blindfold exhibition matches there, you know, so it's, it's amazing. Uh, and, but, you know, ultimately, I don't think he put out uh, the kind of, like, especially, you know, uh, one thing I would want, I would want to try is that night tour where he played uh, right. three, three games blindfold. Uh, well, three boards. He basically had the knight moving all around the chessboard, hitting, trying to hit every one of the squares, but once, and he did it blindfolded, one move at a time. Then he collect as he went through the tour. He would collect a piece of information from the audience, uh, maybe their phone number, the uh, you know wherever it was on their mind, the name, the the country, the place, uh, and he would go through all those sixty four on three three boards so 64 times three and uh, then as he would complete the tour on every one of the boards and those probably were three different tours that he did uh on in each one of the boards to make it more interesting then on the way back he would bring the knight all the way back uh, up to the initial square and he would recollect every one of those little pieces of information on each one of those boards so you know how did he do it well you know probably he you know, if if you ask him back at that point, he you know he was famous for you know the crazy stories, you know whatever. You know, so I probably he probably give like one of those uh, tricky answers. <laughs> but uh, you know, I would I would love to find out uh, how exactly what kind of technique, what kind of journey, what kind of memory palace he used to be able to pull that off. But uh, I'll I could share you know just in terms of techniques for blindfold chess for an established chess player already let's say 16 1700 i think that's generally the intention for players of those of that strength and maybe up to 2200 to kind of practice and master their game well one um practical uh, suggestion you can actually just even go online and uh, there's a, a blindfold chess mode uh, on different websites chat like uh, chess.com play chess i don't know if icc i don't think icc has it uh but a lot of the websites they have the blindfold chess mode you can uh, have all the pieces removed i think play chess even has the option of uh, having your chess pieces invisible and having your opponents visible or vice versa i mean you can play around and try playing those kind of games i even got to a point where i was able to play bullet blindfold yeah chess. i saw you do that on the chess 24 <laughs> video with jan that was amazing <laughs> yeah just yeah just so 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 are you still actively trying to improve at blindfold or do you feel like you have the skill now and now it's a matter of uh raising awareness and just grow uh growing the number you play well uh you know just in terms of my experience at the world record event i think that was the ultimate test and the ability and it was kind of revelational just because of that higher sensitivity as as to what's going on is just that in the moment uh, experience because you know i just couldn't i couldn't give it this you know a second shot really it's just one time and uh uh, you know, just considering all the effort and time that was invested into it, I had to really be on the, uh, in my 100% focus. And I had a lot of great insights, like, um, you know, at times I'll look at a position and uh, I'll kind of see it from my opponent's perspective, which is kind of crazy, but it does happen when you multitask. So I'd kind of have that internal brain surgery where I just kind of like... <laughs> turn that board around and just start seeing it from the right perspective or 
you know, I want to zone in and just really experience the game. I'll kind of see it in 3D where I get to experience each one of the pieces and uh, maybe the order of visualizing the game. So just each one of those. I mean, it's actually kind of relevant as to, you know, facing many, many games, multiple games, but, you know, some something people can try um, on, you know, with with the smaller there's you know sm- smaller number of boards or even actually one chess board so you know putting out a book out there with the blindfold chess techniques and ways to get better uh, for the very beginners that it can benefit from it you know people just barely starting out and they can use that uh, idea of you know mental chess techniques of uh, closing your eyes being able to visualize as well as some of the advanced players i think that would certainly leave um, uh, legacy and uh, you know that you know share share and promote the idea of blindfold chess with at least the world of chess. Nice. Well, it's an amazing thing you're doing, Timur. I'm I'm I can't wait to see what you come up with next, and uh, you know what what records you break or or what paths you take in life. Um, is there is there anything else, Timur, you'd you'd like to to discuss uh, before we let you continue with your travels? <laughs> Well, uh, I'd just say a, a couple opportunities for, uh, I know the, the podcast comes out a little bit later, but just to kind of describe my uh, current uh, journey, I have uh, an event at the Reform Chess Club on April 12th, that's in London. Um, you know, okay. I believe I have a full house at this point, it's kind of going to be kind of a fascinating experience uh, being able to play out there. Um, then uh, we got the uh, an event in London at Hackney Chess Club that's April 26th. Then uh, I'm, I'm actually going to be playing a tournament in uh, Florida in uh, Orlando, Cocoa Beach, play, play a competition, do a little presentation. Then I got an event in Colorado on May 6th, then New York City and Marshall Chess Club. It's actually going to be a sighted uh, simul where I'll play uh, up to 25 players. Uh, then uh, I'll be over at Super Nationals. I think that's kind of a fun get-together. I have a great team, uh, a homeschooler team from Tennessee. I'm supporting, encouraging in their in their journey. Uh, a lot of great friends I'm anticipating to meet. I got an event going on in Kansas. And uh, later on in May, I'm actually going to have a chess camp in Colorado. And then and actually another chess camp that I'm hosting with Karpov Chess School. This is kind of an annual effort that will be uh, at the end of July. And uh, you guys welcome to check out uh, Anatoly Karpov Chess School. Um, the website is just right there. Come out for the chess camp and uh, you know learn some blindfold chess as well. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you've got a pretty good, pretty cool website too, blindfoldking.com. Uh, so pe- people can check that out. And if they want to get in touch with you, can they email you through there? Yeah, or or you know they can fill out the form there, or just email me at champion at blindfoldking dot com. As I mentioned, I'll be getting rid of my phone, so my <laughs> the email would be would be the only way of communication. <laughs> yeah, reach him while you can, people. Pretty soon, he's just going to yeah. be walking the earth, <laughs> eyes <laughs> eyes closed, playing people blindfold, <laughs> no phone. <laughs> have to have to flag him down on the street. Um, well, Timur, thanks so much. I mean, I, I, I can't express, I think you're doing great things for raising awareness of chess and I mean, just, uh, incredible feature accomplishing. So, uh, we'll, we'll all be watching and keep up the good work. Thank you, Ben. This is, it's an honor and I just always fun to 
uh, share ideas and uh, talk about I, what I really enjoy and uh, having uh, you as uh, the um, you know some, somebody who, who's inspired to share uh, you know the experience of chess with in a very professional and interesting manner uh, with you know all the great you know all the followers you know of your podcasts and the information that you put out there I think uh, this makes it uh, even more so encouraging and uh, interesting and truly fulfilling thank you thanks Seymour and hopefully you know you've got such an interesting life I think I'll, I'll want to have you on again in a few years we can uh, do a <laughs> rundown but uh, thanks thanks again and good luck with everything I appreciate it goodbye to everybody Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.